Amen. Go and have a seat, NBC. Uh, if you're joining us online or on the roof uh, or wherever you may be, from a sycamore tree across the street here on Grand Avenue, uh, glad to have you with us today. We're celebrating 10 years here uh, at New Vintage Church. Hard for me to believe. Uh, feels like 30. No, I'm kidding. It's been great. Uh, we've had quite the, quite the experience of uh, the power and presence of God here. And um, at the end uh, of the sermon time today, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to get to show you, we're going to show you a short version of the video that we showed last night. We'll send out the extended play uh, that, that they saw last night um, that, that gets into more detail of the history of the church and uh, some of the different things that happened. And so if you want to do that, just make sure you're, you're in the loop. You signed up for all the church stuff and all that, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get it to you, okay? Um, I'm going to give you what's called a charge today. I didn't even know what that was. I was at a men's breakfast once, and it was one of those things, uh, I wasn't supposed to talk or anything, and somebody came up, put their arm around him, and said, hey, can you give us a charge? And I, I didn't even know what that meant, you know, blah, 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 charge. Like, what is that? Is that what he means? Like, what is a charge? And what he meant was uh, kind of a short word of exhortation, uh, 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 you know, encouragement, something that will get people fired up and, and things like that. And so today, uh, on our 10th anniversary, we're, we've been in a series called Storyline um, before we keep that going and kind of go where the story ends with the big ellipses, the to be continued, uh, we, next week we're starting a series on kind of life at home, okay, family life, stuff like that. It's called Dancing on Eggshells. Uh, as we're prone to do here, uh, we love to, to find those things that nobody wants to talk about and talk about them. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to try and have a, a, uh, a good time doing it. Um, so uh, the, this logo, actually, the dancers are silhouettes of some of our own people that are dancers, actually, in this logo. Uh, and we're going to spend some time talking about the kind of taboo issues going on in, in the world of uh, family and finance and sex and gender and all this stuff uh, and try to have a good time doing it and see what the Bible says about those things, okay? So, so look forward to that. And now for the charge, all right? Now for the charge. Um, December 5th, 2010. It's a Sunday. Uh, I had preached four sermons that morning. I was tired. Uh, I went into our daughter's bedroom along with Emily, my wife, and they were on bunk beds. Anna was seven. Uh, the girl was playing guitar over here. She's 18 now. She's seven then. And uh, Olivia was five. Nora was, I think, about eight months old or so. So she was in, probably crawling around somewhere in the house. And Em and I went to our girls and we said, hey, girls, sit up for a second. We, Mom and I want to talk to you. And so they sat up. As I recall, Anna kind of rotated and dangled her feet off the side of the bed, sat up, and Olivia kind of went like this and put her hands between her, her hands over her face like this and leaned um, face down on the bed there. And we said, hey, kids, uh, so Mom, I want to talk to you. Guess what? What? We're going to be missionaries. Now, our, our, my wife's parents were missionaries in the classic sense of the term in Germany. But our kids are good church kids. They know what a missionary is. A missionary is somebody who's a Christian somewhere else, all right? That's, that's how we teach people to think. Um, being a missionary means I have to get on a plane and go somewhere. Um, in reality, what we were trying to tell them was that what we're doing is the same thing that a missionary does. We're just doing it here. They go, where are we going? And we said, we're not going anywhere. We're, we're staying here. We're going to start a new church. And they've been a core part of that ever since. And many of you joined us on that journey uh, over the last 10 years. And for those of you who who have joined us as missionaries, co-missionaries here, uh, and you've given your time and your service and your money and your investment of your passions, I mean, the best stuff that God gave you, I want to say thank you, and I hope you feel good about that investment because what God's doing in our church today is miraculous. It's amazing. 
and, uh, and I'm so glad to be able to, to share it with you. So we, we go to our daughters, we tell them that, and uh, a couple of hours later, we had the first little gathering of anything that would resemble New Vintage Church. We didn't have a name for the thing yet. Uh, we didn't know what we were going to call it. We didn't know much of anything other than we were going to have like a devotional, and so we went and we had it. But I want you to understand that if you were in Christ, you're a missionary too. There's no super Christian out there. Uh, it doesn't mean really meaning your faith. That makes you a missionary. Or uh, I'm willing to share my faith, therefore I'm a missionary. They're not willing to share their faith, and so they're not a missionary. That's not even it either. If you are a Christian, by nature, you're a missionary. You are a witness to the gospel. You are a person who says, they put their hand in the air and they say, I'm with Jesus all the way, every day. And I'm willing to introduce you to him too, if you'd like. And I'm going to find ways to help you because I think that knowing Jesus is not just essential, but it's the greatest thing that will ever happen in your life. And if you'll listen, I'd love to tell you about him or, hey, come and see or any of those things. So if you're in Christ, okay, you are a missionary. Whenever you meet a fellow brother or sister in Christ, you are meeting a fellow missionary. Okay, we have one call, make disciples of Jesus. We are God's plan A. He has no plan B. And that's how the story ends that we've been talking about. Or shall I say, to be continued. And we're the people living out the second part, the third part, the fourth part, and all the way up till the present day until he returns. So we're like the sequel and we're living this out until he comes back. I'm going to share a text with you today. Some of you are very new to the faith or maybe not Christians at all. When Jesus leaves, he has all of his followers at that point. He says, hey, I want you to go over to this mountain here in Galilee. I'll meet you there. They go over there and they start worshiping Jesus. This is right before he ascends. And here's what he says. This will be familiar if you're in the faith. Uh, this is one of the first passages I ever memorized growing up. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And with that, he sends. And he left his mission in our care. And so this morning, I'm, there's kind of three chunks to that. And I just want to take those, and we're going to Here's the, here's the journey we're going to take, right? Then the charge. We're going to take, you know, these three things. And we're going to talk about the implications of that for our church, how our church has tried to live that out, how we hope to live them out. And then also apply it to kind of everyday life because the same mission that he gives to the church is also the mandate for a Christian. Okay? So we're going to, we're going to start here because this is really where it starts and ends. All right? The key to it is this. Okay? Jesus has all authority everywhere. There's no town you can visit there is no aspect of life, there is no subject you can talk about where he does not have all authority. He makes a point to say, all in heaven and on earth. So even when you leave earth, all right, if you got in a space shuttle and left earth, you went to Mars, he's got authority there too. You go to heaven, he's got authority there too. And it says all, right? So it's not like he owns 51% of the stock. Uh, it's not like, you know, he's the majority shareholder, the biggest bully in the schoolyard among other bullies. Uh, there's no half measures in what he says. The risen Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. So every church, every biblical church has a leader, and it's not the pastor. It's Jesus. 
The pastors, at best, are under-shepherds who are about helping feed his sheep. Guys like me, we carry the food to the sheep. That's what we do. But the big, the big shepherd, I mean, the, the chief shepherd, he's the one who has all authority. His name is Jesus, and he's got all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, for us personally, there are huge implications of this, right? Because we, we like to give authority to other things and other people, other voices in our life, right? So if he has all authority, then that means that when I face a problem, when I'm looking to, to discern what I ought to do, how I ought to treat somebody, um, whatever the situation may be, my, my, my impulse, my inclination, my, my first reflex should be to go, what does Jesus say? What does he feel about it? What does he think? It's not to go, oh, let me get on Twitter and see what, what people are saying about this. It's not to go say, well, let's log on to CNN.com or New York Times or go to Barnes & Noble buy a book and read an, uh, what experts are saying uh, about this. No, no, no. First question is always, what does Jesus say? And if he's weighed in on the subject, then the discussion at that point, if I'm a follower of Jesus, is almost over. Now the question is, how do I take what he said and apply it? But it's not, all right, how do I, um, how do I take uh, what, what, what everybody out here is saying and, and, and uh, that makes me kind of feel like I'm a weirdo if I'm over here and I believe this. That doesn't matter. Now you've given authority to them. All authority in heaven, on earth, has been given to me. Okay, he says. And so that means that Jesus, the one who, <laughs> when he tells the waves to be quiet and they listen, Maybe if he talks to me, I should listen, right? You see what I'm saying? So when he has all authority in heaven and on earth, that means, you know, you know whatever disagreements go on in the world, on, on, on social policy, on health, on gender, on marriage, who's going to win the National League West Padres, where we ought to buy our groceries, whether we ought to make that purchase, whether we should say yes to baptism, okay? He is the one to whom we will give an account, and there is nobody else out there. So you might lose a popularity contest here on earth. You don't want to lose that one. That's the contest you got to win is that one, the one that on judgment day I'm going to stand before Jesus. I'm not standing before anybody else. And I want to be able to say, you know what, I did the best I could, and I want to hear him say, well done. Because if he's got all authority and he says, well done, then guess what? I did it well. And I, I pleased him, which is the point of this life. And it's the same for every church. Okay, a church that gives authority to people beyond him or above him, all right, whether, whether it's to panic over the issues of the day and go from one panic attack to the next, or whether it's to, to uh, give it to, to, to human leaders, okay, that kind of, of church is, really ceases to be much of a church at all. And sometimes one of the biggest mistakes I think we can make as Christians is to read or to listen to the stories of people who say they don't agree with us on things or agree with a Christian perspective on this issue or that issue, and then to say, okay, well, we'll adjust what we think then to what you think, so then you'll accept us. We're seeking the acceptance of the wrong people. What this text says is both as a church and as followers of Jesus, I want him to be pleased. If other people are happy with what I say or what I do or how I live, great. But at the end of the day, that's the approval I'm looking for. I'm looking for the applause of heaven, the one who has authority, and everybody else. Well, then that's what they, 
You know, that's why, for instance, if you're at NBC, you will almost always, there are very few exceptions to this, you will hear me say in the first five to ten minutes of any time I'm on this stage, you will hear me say, open your Bibles too. We're going to be in Matthew 28. Uh, get your Bible apps, your, your Bibles open. Okay, why? Because he has all authority. That means his word matters. That means his word gives the words of life. And my job is simply to take the food to the sheep. I'm not the person providing it. I'm not making all the food. He's made the food. I take it to the sheep and feed, right? That's, that's the rhythm. So if you're here, that's one of the ways we've tried to do that. We, we, we kind of overdose on it sometimes, if that's possible. We, we on numerous occasions here at NBC have, have run Bible in 90 days campaigns where we've asked the church to read the whole thing cover to cover in 90 days. I, I teach the Old Testament at, at, at Pepperdine, and if I am, I'm lucky if I ask them to read from Genesis to like Judges in a semester, they've done well. These are some of the sharpest college kids. We used to say, hey, Bible in 90 days, about 13 chapters a day, no problem. Take 90 days because we don't want you to go to church here for some length of time and not be familiar with the Bible. It's the Word of God. So, so if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, then I want to know what he has to say on, on whatever. Uh, and we try to train the p- people who go to church here on a regular basis to make Scripture their reflex. I want to know not just what he says legalistically, but the spirit of what Jesus says, why he says it that way, interpreting the Bible well, okay? We want you to do that as a reflex because he's got all authority everywhere. If you have an office and it says that you're the president and CEO, he's still got authority there. If you're a Christian, he's got authority. So pay attention, listen to what he says, because he has the words of life. Point two, our mission is clear. He gives them the explanation there. He says, I want you to go in all the world. I want you to to preach the gospel. I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've, I've given you, baptize them. That's why we still do that here at New Vintage. That's why we go get all blue even in the winter and freeze to death out in the ocean. But we smile the whole time. We love smiling too. And we get out there and we do it because that's what he asked us to do. The mission becomes clear. Every biblical church and Christian has the same message. You love God above everything. You glorify him. You partner with him to make disciples. And sometimes going Um, means staying. I know that sounds like a weird thing, but that's essentially what we did when we started New Vintage Church. Uh, Here's our version of go. We stay, and we commit ourselves to this area uh, and to however God's going to lead us down this particular path. When he says go, and he does say go into all the world and all nations and all that, but he doesn't mean every literal person goes to every literal nation or anything like that. It's a form of saying he helps him understand where, where he wants to take the gospel, which is everywhere. He's got all authority in heaven and on earth. The gospel's going everywhere. Now, his go is kind of a, like, a, like a get going or a, a let's go with the, all the O's. Let's go at the end, right? This is what we're doing. The time is now. And making disciples means I introduce them to Jesus, and then I teach them, and I shepherd them in the way of Jesus. It means that if I'm going to do that, then guess what? I have to know Jesus. I have to understand him. I have to know what he taught. I have to be an apprentice of Jesus. Okay, I can't just go in and say, 
uh, you know, with, with a few cliches here and there, a few bumper stickers, a fridge magnet, a few other little trinkets, you know, wear a cross necklace or an ichthus ring or have a, have a cool tattoo that shows when I point and it's here my arm. That's not enough. It's about knowing him, knowing that when I'm applying what he says to my life today and to theirs or trying to help them understand their way through something, that, that, that I am within the ballpark of the will of God. And in order to do that, that means I have to be strong and sound, and I have to have committed my life to, to, to Christ. See, I think one of the things we miss uh, when we kind of take our spiritual life lightly is the impact that that has on other people. Because now I'm not in a position to be able to... to I, I turn into a blind guide. You know, somebody who... You ever run into one of those people? This happens at our house often. We have people, like I'll be driving to my parents' house, okay, in Long Beach, the house I grew up in. And I will have my own family tell me how to get there. And I'm like, I've been here. I, before I knew you, before you were my child, uh, I was born here, raised here. You know, uh, I remember the phone number to my parents' house, like the back when you used to have to remember phone numbers because they weren't all on your phone. I know where to go. And then sometimes you ever have one of those people that just tells you where to go and they have no idea where they're going. Like, no, they haven't been there before either. Hey, turn, turn to left up here. You look at them like, you've never been here either. You have never been here. On what basis are you telling me to turn left? And then so you turn left and of course it's the wrong turn. So you have to turn around and go back and they go, hey, hey, turn right up here. It's like, no, you just led me into a dead end over there. Why would I listen to you over here? And so much of what happens is Christians aren't deep enough to know how to lead people effectively, how to teach them to be an apprentice of Jesus because they don't even know where the shop is. They ain't been to the shop in two, three years. They don't know what, 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 what he's like now, quote unquote, or what he said recently or anything like that. They aren't familiar enough with his word to know, okay, yes, this is what Jesus would think on that matter. And so you end up with, especially in the public square, unfortunately, you end up with people out there talking about things that they have no, no knowledge of that Jesus never really spoke to um, at all. You know, so, um, <laughs> you know, I've heard people say that, you know, talk about what Jesus says about personal computers. I'm like, really? Where was that? Personal computers. Where did he talk about that? You know, well, what they mean is there's maybe a principle, but you have to be, you have to know him. You have to know what he said. You have to be able to put it in context. You have to do that stuff. And it's really not hard. He did not come so that he would be hard to find. He is the revelation of God. The, the reason that God sent him to earth is to reveal himself to us. That's why we have scriptures. Not because God's trying to hide himself, but because he's trying to, to reveal himself. Even revelation and books that we, we try to make complicated. Remember, the book of Revelation is called Revelation. The point is to reveal not to conceal, not to make things hard, not to come up with a cryptic code that you have to spend centuries deciphering. It's not easy to, 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 to interpret, but it's there. It's on the plain surface that he's trying to help us understand. So the mission that God gives us here is not oblique. It's not hard to figure out. He's saying, now that you've been following me, I've been given all authority. So I want you to go and help people. Learn to do what you've been doing as my followers, to become apprentices of mine. And that, so that becomes the, 
the tetherball pole for the church. Here's what I mean. Old school game, tetherball. There's a pole in a yard, for those of you not familiar with tetherball. If your kids don't know what tetherball is, raise them right, people. Go teach them to this afternoon. Go find a tetherball pole somewhere and play some tetherball with them. Right? There's a ball attached to a rope, which is attached to a pole. And you take the ball and you hit it. Pro tip, play the short kid. That's who you want to play, playing tetherball if you want to win. Play the short kid, okay, and you hit the ball and it goes over. You know, you're trying to get it to wind all the way around the pole. All right? You're trying to get it up over your opponent's head. So um, there's a way to hit it. It's kind of down. You hit it down, then it flies up on the other side. It goes over the guy's head, right? That's, so that's how you win a good game of tetherball. But as it, as it goes over his head, it winds its way around all the way to where it's completely attached, right? So at first, it's this long. The rope is, and by the time it's done, it's right up against the pole. That's when you know you win. This mission is the tetherball pole, essentially, and rope for the church, it means you can never get too far away. And at the point that you do, and you get over here, God has a way of helping you feel the tug as a church saying, get back, get back, get back. So, so it anchors you, and the further you do it, now you keep going around, and the next thing you know, it pulls you back in, right? Boom, now you're right back in the middle. And then sometimes, even one tries to get you to, you know, it hits boom, and then you start unraveling again. But you can never get too far if you're paying attention to what he says here. At its core, what we're doing here is helping people find Jesus and learn to live out his way of life. At, at the core, everything we do is aimed in that direction. And it's aimed that way because that's the mission that God gave us. All right, lastly, this is where I want to camp for a little bit. Uh, he's with us always. He tells them at the end, I am with you always even to the end of the age. The night that, that we started NBC in some way, shape, or form, it didn't even have a name yet. Um, it took us three or four uh, weeks to come up with what we were going to call it. Um, I think we, we actually named it somewhere around Christmas time of 2010. Um, I preached a strange text for an opening night of a church. Um, in Exodus 33... It's Moses. He and God are on the same page on one thing, that the Israelites are miserable people that neither one of them want to be around. They're on the same page. And God basically says to Moses, Moses, look, uh, I told you guys I was going to get you to the promised land. And so I'll get you there, but I'm not going with you because if I take another step with you, I'm going to wipe everybody out. I cannot handle these people anymore. Now, earlier, if you think Moses is, doesn't understand where God's coming from, Moses is so miserable at one point, he begs God to kill him so that he doesn't have to lead the Israelites anymore, okay? So they're on the same page about the Israelites and what leadership in the kingdom is like. Very touching scene. God says, tell you what, I'm going to kill everybody. Moses is like, actually, just kill me, and then you can take the people and go on, all right? It's a kind of a, that's the rhythm. Moses, why did you even call me? This is awful. God's going, y'all are terrible you know what, y'all go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here. Well, then Moses says this in Exodus 33, as God tells them, just go, but I'm not going with you. Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not, uh, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. 
You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anybody know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. All right, now listen. I hope you understand the power of that. What he's saying is, I will take the wilderness with you to the promised land without you. That's big. And so what I tried to do with the church that night was say, if this thing's going to make it, God's got to be with us. And if we don't do another thing, we must stay blessable. I say that with the staff all the time. Guys, stay blessable. What does that mean? It means, for instance, uh, well, let's start here. Don't do things that make God mad. <laughs> if there's sin in your life, you're go- it's going to happen. You're going to sin. Okay? You're not perfect. But you don't let it take root. You repent of it right away. You get help. You confess it. You get it out of your life. Stay blessable. It means if somebody attacks our church, we don't return evil for evil. We overcome evil with good. Uh, it means that when we are, um, you know, do, when, if, if we end up doing things that make headlines and things like that, the arrow points, as, as the energy comes here, the arrow points up. There is no place for us to aggrandize ourselves um, as we go through these things, right? Um, and that's how you, you stay blessable. Now, at a personal level, okay, guys? Um, one of the things that often happens is people, they, they, they forget this, that the reason that they have the blessings that they have is because God provides it to them. And the second that he doesn't want them to have it anymore, they don't have it. Israel learns this in a very uh, harsh way in the book of Joshua. They go out, they, they, they end up going and having this huge military victory. They think they're right in the middle of the promises of God. And then Achan grabs a, a goblet, buries it under the tent flap, essentially, after God had told them not to take anything. He takes something and they lose to a little tiny army. After they defeat this huge army, they lose to a little dinky ragamuffin group. And Joshua's like, what happened? I thought you said you were going to be with us. He says, I did. Unfortunately, you weren't with me. That was the problem. He didn't stay blessable. And so they, they, they purify themselves. They, they, they cleanse themselves. And, and what I realized was, I realized this early on the hard way in my ministry, is that when you don't stay blessable, it becomes very obvious that where things can go and how hard things can get when God is not with you. I remember in high school, I, used, I was into, by Southern California standards, big wave riding. So not, not like 25 or 30 feet, but like 12 to 15. Like there's a nice zone right there where you can do that without dying most of the time. 
and it's a blast. And so uh, one particular day, I took what I'll, I'll call a, a personal development day in high school. And uh, I did, I took a, per and I actually drove all the way from Long Beach down here to Carlsbad. Uh, it was right there on State Street. And the, the surf was up that day and the waves were big. And that time of day, waves were pretty far off the shore. And when, you're, when waves are, are a good size, if you, get, if you get hammered by one or rolled by one, you get pushed under. And when you get pushed under, you often have no idea which way's up at all. And so I remember getting pushed under, but when you're, when you're under and it's offshore a lot, you don't have no idea how much water's above you. But I had that little panic moment, right, where you're like, I need a breath of air, I need a breath of air, I need a breath of air. So I'm, I'm, I'm paddling, I'm going around and everything. And I'm getting to that point now where it's like, I got to get some air, I got to get some air, and I'm starting to panic. And so I kind of keep going, and the next thing I know, I hit the, I hit the floor of the ocean with my hand. But I, I needed to be at the surface at this point because I was really having a tough time. I was like, okay, there's the floor. And, and so I go to push off, and I get nothing. And so I kind of keep flailing around. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, and so I start paddling again, boom, I hit the floor again. I'm still on the bottom. <laughs> and so I keep doing, I do a flip, like a swimmer's flip, like you would at the end of a pool to push off. I do that. I get up. As soon as I get above, the next one hits me. Down I go, boom. Now I'm back under again, feet are up in the air. I have no idea what's going on. And I keep kind of, you know, flailing around, but I don't have any air. I didn't get, I didn't get a, much of a breath at all and actually got some water in with the, with the, with that wave. Anyways, I kept, I kept doing this. Sometimes I'd be at Huntington Beach or these other things. And it was, it's, it's pretty frightening when you're out there and you've got big wave after big wave after big wave and you can't figure out where you are and how to, um, how to figure out which way is up. And then I came to an epiphany one day. Um, I said, you know, what if instead of even trying, I just made sure that I got a nice breath and when I went under, I was still. Because when your lungs are full of air, what happens? You rise. So instead of flailing around and swimming in the wrong direction and burning energy, what if I just went under and it's like, and down you go. And instead of that, I'm just going to sit here and have lungs full of air and wait. And eventually I'll get enough of a tug. I'll get a sense of which direction I'm heading. And then I'll know that's it. All right. Here's, here's what I'm suggesting to you, sisters and brothers. When you hit tough times and you, the waves get you and you're under, you have no idea which way's up. If you know that God is with you, be still. And you will feel, you'll feel his guidance, right? You'll feel which way's up. If he's not with you, if, if you're not with him is a better way to put it. You walked away from him. Your life's not tethered in any meaningful way to the gospel, and something really severe hits your family or your life or something, and you go under, okay? You know, God's hand's down there looking for you, right? And take it, take it, take it. And usually what we do is we flap around. We, we spend all this energy worrying, trying harder, Right? We go from panic attack to panic attack. We go from, 
from, oh no, what am I going to do? I can't believe this is going to happen. Here's what I'm going to do. And, and, and then often, sometimes we'll do, well, if there was a God, then how come I'm underneath the water? As though God's primary job is to keep you above the surface. His primary job is to be God. Your job is to stay with him because he's stay, willing to stay with you. That's what Jesus is saying here. I am with you always. But remember this, in the prodigal son story, right? Those of you, most people in the room are probably familiar with that story. He does let the son leave the house. He lets the son leave the house. He doesn't change the house rules to accommodate a rebellious son. The dad's rules are the dad's rules. And so at what point the son wants to come home, he's willing to, and dad will go run to meet him. But if we are, are just hell-bent on not following Jesus, if we're hell-bent on just doing it our own way, then the person that we need to blame is in the mirror, not in heaven. Because God is saying to us here, I am with you. I will be with you. I want to be with you. And I will empower you. And Moses is saying to him, listen, Lord, if you're not going with us, because I know, because we've already had our tail whipped like three or four different times when we got, when we got you know, uh, pulled away, I know what these people are like. I can't lead these people without your presence. I know that we will die in the wilderness without you. I know we never would have made it through the Red Sea without you. I know we never would have been delivered from slavery without you. And so when you say to me that you're not going with us, that is the scariest thing you can tell us. Please know, I will take the wilderness. Just stay with us. Okay. So that's what we've tried to kind of capture at NVC. And when you know that the, if you feel like God is with you, then that allows you to take steps of courage and faith that you would never take if you thought God wasn't with you. I mean, this building that you're sitting in, in some ways, was, a, was like a, you know, it's like that scene at the end of Point Break where, where he jumps out of the plane with no parachute. You know, it's kind of like... This is a wild, you know, and you can feel the wind blowing your hair back <laughs> as you're on your way down. It's like, I hope, I hope God's got us. And he does. He did, right? And so here we are. But that, that thing right there, it doesn't mean, oh, you know what? I, I uh, chewed out my kids this morning, so now God's abandoned my family. That's not it. That's not it. It's about where heart's inclined, where your priorities are. And if, if you're with God, then you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Walk boldly. Walk in faith and know that he's got you. If, on the other hand, you've decided to leave God, then the best thing you could do for yourself is to get back fast. Come back to God. He didn't leave you. You left him. Come back to God. We try to stay blessable at MVC. Most of the time, I feel like we've done an okay job of that. Uh, not perfectly, certainly. Um, but when God tells us that I will be with you, um, that right there in that text, when it was preached on uh, December 5th, 2010, um, that might have been the single best, most... Uh, empowering, important sermon I've ever preached, even though it lasted like seven minutes at the time. Which was, the presence of God is everything. It's everything. And if he's with you, I mean, think about when you want, when you're, when you're it's nighttime and your car is way down the block 
and you need, you're like, I need somebody to walk me in my car. Why do you feel that way? Because it's dangerous out there. But if somebody's walking with you, you're not afraid anymore, right? You're, you're like, hey, no problem. I'll walk to my car as long as I got three other people with me. God's saying, I am volunteering to walk with you wherever you go, wherever you go. And so I'm asking you and inviting you to say yes to God. Say yes to God, because he said yes to you in Jesus. We're going to remember that now. Uh, we're going to take communion. Uh, the bread and the cup are coming around. You should have gotten a little bag with the elements in it. We're trying to keep everybody healthy um, as best we can for the time being. And uh, If you have that, the, the bread represents the body of Jesus. The cup represents the blood of Jesus. And we do this every week here at New Vintage. And we do this today, uh, I want us to focus on those last words of Jesus. I am with you always. I am with you always. If you, ha if you need one and you didn't get one, put your hand in the air. We've got some ushers bringing them down, and no shame in that. Here's my wife. She must have been late again. We have, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Lord may be with you always. Your wife, your wife can, uh, she's, this, she, she what? <laughs> she's with me always, too. I love you. <laughs> Um, right now, um, after 10 years, uh, let's take the, the, uh, the Lord's Supper today with a mind toward everything that he's done. When I'm done praying, uh, the screen will come down and, uh, we're going to show a short version of the film that we showed last night that just covers a little bit of the history of the church and, uh, some of where we're going and that kind of stuff. So I hope you, hope you enjoy it. Uh, we'll send the full version out a, a little bit later. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now. Uh, with bread and cup, we say thank you. Uh, we say thank you for being with us always. Father, for the times that we've kind of gone off on our own, we are thankful for a shepherd who finds us in the far country and invites us home. We're thankful for you being a father who runs to meet us when we turn back toward the house. We thank you, Father, uh, for being like a widow who searches for us, like a widow who's lost her last coin. And so, Father, now for those in this room who might be, on the bottom of the ocean, uh, looking for the hand, we pray, Father, that they find your hand this morning and for all the times in the history of this church, in my life, that you have, um, with your strong hand, guided us and grabbed us and strengthened us, Father, we say today, thank you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray, amen. Our story, uh, I guess, begins in some ways on December 5th, 2010. Uh, I went into my daughter's bedrooms. They were uh, seven and five, and uh, our youngest was uh, about eight months old, and uh, they were on bunk beds. And my wife Emily and I went into their room and we said, kids, mom and I want to tell you something. And we said to them, we're going to be missionaries. And one of them, I don't remember which one, said, uh, where are we going to go? And we said to them, uh, we're not going anywhere. We're staying here, but we're starting a new church. And that was kind of the official beginning. And a couple of hours later, we had our first anything resembling a service of any kind uh, over at uh, over on our Juniper property. 
We had about 16 of us there that night. Uh, that included men, women, children, probably also the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and the cloud of witnesses as well. We had 16, I think. Uh, there were three other individuals and, and, uh, that joined in. And so uh, myself and DJ Iverson, Peter Wilson, and Randy Armstrong uh, took the leap along with those of us who uh, had spouses and kids and stuff at the time. In fact, uh, Peter Wilson's wife was pregnant at the time. Uh, Randy should have been thinking about retirement at that point. And uh, DJ was single. That's before he was even married or had any kids. It's hard to think about yesterday without thinking of the Hidden Valley Christian Church. We had no idea that the building we were in was going to become our building someday. We just happened to meet there and after that first little gathering we moved to Rancho Bernardo for several months. Uh, after four or five months we ended up uh, needing to leave there. Uh, they needed their, their space back on Sunday nights, so we left there and came back to that Juniper property mostly because it was free and we needed some place to meet that didn't cost any money. And so we went back to that building uh, not knowing that just several months after that, uh, short of our one year anniversary as a church, really about six months after our launch, that that building would be given to us. And that really set the table for everything that came after it. So when you decide, okay, we need to start a church, then, then it becomes a question of what kind of church do we start? For me, it would be a church that had was well-rooted in scripture. It needed to be biblical. Uh, it needed to have good music. I wanted the preaching to be good. Uh, in terms of the, the overall climate and atmosphere of the church, I wanted it to be joyful. I think a lot of churches are not known for their joy. Uh, you wanted it to be a place where laughter was common. You see, when you walk in the door, you see people smiling and laughing. So the easy part is coming up with the vision. The hard part is executing the vision. Uh, the Juniper years, the next six or seven years after uh, we acquired the building, I would say were the years that we really honed our vision. We kind of got tested several different times. We came together and we realized that, that God had something new for us. And so that led us into the chapter we now affectionately known as the, the Grand Project. So that whole first chunk prepared us for what lied ahead and we had no real idea what was coming down the pike next. We, uh, we sold our building and that led us from there out to a year at the California Center for the Arts. And so right as we were getting ready, we were still in construction on the grand building, the COVID-19 hits, we have to shut down uh, services for that period of time. And I have always thought that churches miss opportunities. So when challenges, big challenges happen, there are usually hidden opportunities in there. So we went and uh, we started, we served uh, a lot of pizza to the hospital workers over at Palmar Hospital and kind of started there. And then we started adopting businesses and going to those owners and saying, hey, would you let us come in and give you some publicity? And we'll, we'll direct our church to come eat here on this particular night. And so we decided to lean into it and have fun. And it was fun, it was hard, but it was fun at the same time. So we, we made the decision in August of 2020 to go ahead and start meeting at the park. We really felt a hunger to be together again. And we felt like the need had become pretty obvious that people were really beginning to, to suffer because uh, the church was not, not available to them. All of that, in some ways, is part of the beautiful fight, right? It's, it's, that's what church is, man. You just kind of keep going. And so we persevered and I saw God do so many great things during that era. We saw people coming back to church for the first time. We saw new people show up that were just looking for any place that was open uh, to be able to go to church. And we saw our teens particularly. That, that was kind of what I view as the beginning of what we see God doing now in our youth ministry. The day the lights went on, on the Graham Project, um, we were all over in the park across the street. You know, you're thinking, holy cow, 
you know, this might actually happen. You know, we might actually be turning the lights on on this thing, finally, through COVID, through, you know, rain, sleet, snow, construction, disasters, whatever. We might actually be there. And sure enough, boom, they came on. Yeah, so the Grand is a multi-use arts complex. Uh, the Grand is, inside the Grand, you've got the Ritz Theater, you've got the rooftop lounge, you've got the black box theater, the children's ministry space and all of that. But the idea is uh, the church is the host. And almost anything you can think of doing in a space like this is gonna happen in here. And at the same time, God's church is in here and we're worshiping him and we're, we're just you know, praising our sweet little guts out in here. And we're letting him know that he deserves all the credit for this entire thing. And that we're here to be uh, a church that is serious about reaching people that he's called us to reach here in this area. Now the rooftop is maybe my favorite part of the whole grand project. Uh, the rooftop was at that moment where you realize, well, where are people gonna get together just for social reasons and stuff like that, not realizing that, you know, there is no space for that to happen unless you go up. It's just one of those tremendous spaces. And when you look around and kind of pray over the people and the blocks in the city. Uh, and so I absolutely just love the rooftop. It's a great place to go to reflect. And it's also a great place to hang out and have fun. It's both. And that's awesome. I love it. What does tomorrow look like for NVC? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I know I'm supposed to know the answer to that, but I know the first 10 years didn't look anything like what the first 10 years we thought it was going to look like. Uh, but our job really isn't to know exactly what we're going to do. It could mean more campuses. It could mean planting more churches or finding new creative ways to serve the community that we're in. Um, but we don't really know. Our job's not necessarily to know, it's to follow. And so we're committed to doing that. And so whether you're part of MVC right now or you're checking out MVC, uh, I want to invite you to be a part of it. First 10 years has been quite the ride, rather unbelievable actually. Uh, and I have no doubt that the next 10 years is gonna be amazing as well. And so be a part of it. Be a part of what God's doing here.